Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Good morning, faithful listeners. This is the Bible Explained podcast. And hi, my name is Jen. I'm the host here. And I'm excited that you chose to share a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me this morning as we discuss Acts chapter four. So we are going to be talking about the authority that God gives to unschooled individuals such as me and you potentially. (laughs) So let's get into this. Make sure to grab your cup of seven weeks coffee. That is the coffee company that supports life in the womb. And they've raised something like over $100,000 in the past year for pregnancy centers. So they're doing really great work and their coffee is fantastic. It's all organic and all that good stuff. And it's just really tasty. So check out my link in the description for seven weeks coffee. I've had some people reach out and talk to me about their favorite teas and their favorite tea companies. So thank you to everybody who has done that since I am looking for a tea company. I have one in mind that I'm looking at right now and potentially we'll start talking about on the podcast. So for you guys that drink the tea, you're just gonna have to deal with your store-bought tea since you won't switch over to Seven Weeks Coffee. But anyway, guys, let's go ahead and read uh, Acts chapter four, verses one through 13 today. I'll be reading on the W.E.B. As they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, being upset because they taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was now evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. In the morning, their rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were relatives of the high priest. When they stood Peter and John in the middle of them, they inquired, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, may it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands here before you whole in him. He is the stone which was regarded as worthless by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and had perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, so where we left off last time, uh, Peter and John had just healed a crippled man. This crippled man sat at the temple gate called Gate Beautiful for many, many years begging at that gate. So he was a very recognized figure, actually, at the uh, at the gate. So a lot of people that frequented the temple often would recognize the crippled man that was always, every single day, begging at the beautiful gate. So when Peter healed the crippled man, he, like, jumped up 
and skipped into the temple, running and praising God on his newly strengthened legs, basically. And he was nearby Peter and John in the temple, actually holding on to them, clinging to them, maybe uh, just, you know, putting his arms around them because he was so excited. I don't know exactly, but he was clinging to Peter and John is what it says. And so because he was clinging to Peter and John, this made the crowds inside the temple recognize that this crippled man had just been healed by Peter and John, or rather just Peter. And so the people are all just like flabbergasted about this miracle that just took place. And Peter gives this long sermon where he's like, look, guys, you know, why are you so flabbergasted over this miracle as if, you know, me or John were able to do this miracle because of our own godliness? It's because of Jesus that this man has been healed. So now we leave off in Acts chapter four, which is what we read today. And it says, as Peter and John spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them being upset because they taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So you got to have a little bit of backstory to understand why they were so upset here. The first reason they were upset was because they hated Jesus and they tried to put Jesus to death. But the second reason they were upset was because the Sadducees in particular, which was like a, a sect of Judaism, they fully 100% believed that the resurrection of the dead did not exist. Basically, when you die, you just go into the earth and that's all that happens to you. The Sadducees were really big on wealth from my understanding of them. And so they had a lot of notoriety, the Sadducees did. And they were a very powerful group of religious elders at the time. But they were so upset because not only were Peter and John teaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus in the temple, but they were also upset because they were teaching the resurrection of the dead, meaning that there is life after death. One thing that is really interesting to me is that a lot of people who are anti-Jesus are also very anti-life, just in general. You'll see that people who don't follow God or don't follow God the right way are often very pro-choice, pro-abortion, or pro-legal death, or they always push like population control, which is like another form of death. So my point is, people who don't follow God are often angry that Christians push life. And a lot of people who aren't Christian are not happy about that. But the same thing here with these Sadducees. They're actually angry that Peter and John are talking about pro-life, like life after death. So they grab Peter and John. It says they laid hands on them. So this was not a gentle, like carrying them away. They laid hands hands on them and put them in custody until the next day because it was close to evening when Peter and John were doing this sermon. So here's a question. Why were the Sadducees so against the teaching of the resurrection? We already know why they were against the teaching of Jesus, because they hated Jesus and they were jealous of Jesus and they knew that Jesus had power. But why were they so upset because of the, the teaching of the resurrection from the dead, because that's what it says here. They were upset because they taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So why were the Sadducees so against the thought of life after death? Well, because of power. And that's what it always boils back down to. People are not new. People are not unique. <laughs> that's why I, I reject the idea that Right now is 
the worst people have ever been in the history of ever. I, I do not believe that. I believe that people have always been the same and will continue to always be the same. But the Sadducees wanted power. And as I said before, they were very rich individuals. They had a lot of respect from the people and they were very powerful individuals. So the idea of somebody believing in life after death kind of takes the power away from them. Because if you believe that God is out there who is going to resurrect you and not just resurrect you, but allow you to live in eternal comfort with him, that's going to make a person reject the ideology of the Sadducees that believe nothing in that. So instead of the Sadducees becoming the people's gods, Yahweh God becomes the people's God, if that makes sense. So the Sadducees didn't like the teaching of the resurrection after death because that took some of their power away. They could no longer be the authority over the people. Instead, God would be the people's authority. So they're upset, not just about the teaching of Jesus, but because of the teaching of the resurrection from the dead. So they laid hands on them and put them in custody. However, here's what it says in, in verse four. But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. So suddenly, overnight, the Christian church jumps from 3,000 people to 5,000 people. Peter, that, that just shows how powerful these sermons are. Because the first time Peter uh, does a sermon like that with the Pentecost, thousands of people believed in Jesus and were baptized. Same thing here. Another 2,000 people believed in Jesus and, uh, and became Christians. So Peter and John were taken away and put into custody. And it says, in the morning, their rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And notice here what it says. Annas the high priest was there with Caiaphas. Do you remember Annas and Caiaphas in the book of John? how it actually mentioned that Caiaphas was the high priest that year. But yet Annas had so much power because Annas had been a high priest and Annas was also the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So in actuality, Annas was the one who was truly in charge and he was so corrupt and he used his position to get what he wanted for himself and for his family. So Annas was very corrupt. And even though I'm pretty sure technically Caiaphas was supposed to be the high priest this year because this couldn't this was only months I would guess after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that really shows who truly was in charge it was Annas that was in charge behind the scenes so it says Annas the high priest was there with Caiaphas as well as John Alexander and many as were relatives of the high priest <laughs> so Man, I mean, I could talk about so many ideas with this. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a big family in a small church. The big family often takes control of everything in those small churches. I went to a church that was like that. Every church I, I've been to, there, there's no perfect church out there. Every church I've been to has had its share of problems. The first church was IFB. And I've talked about my journey with the IFB cult, I mean, uh, denomination. <laughs> but after we got kicked out of the IFB church, story for a different day, um, we started going to a Bible church, which I'm pretty sure is technically just non-denominational. 
And that church had its share of problems as well, because there was a family in that church that took control of everything, everything. It was a big family and they were behind the scenes for everything. And what do you know? As soon as the pastor of that church retired, who, by the way, was not related to the big family, the big family took complete control of that church. And one of their sons, one of the sons of that big family became the pastor of that church. There is a lot of trouble with one family taking over a lot of things in a church because families and in some ways, this is how it's supposed to be. Families should look out for their own interests. I do believe that the family unit is very important. And so you should look after your family. But this becomes a huge problem when those big families in smaller churches are doing nothing but looking out for their own interests. That becomes a huge problem. And I'm sure many of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about because this is not an uncommon issue. And in fact, I would love to hear your stories. If you have any stories about that, please email me and uh, and tell me about that. I'm just very interested in that particular topic. I might do a video or something about that in the future. But regardless, big families having a lot of power is very, very dangerous. And here is another example of that. Annas the high priest was there with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were relatives of the high priest. So that just shows you they don't care about the people. They don't care about anything except their own interests and the interests of their family. It's called nepotism. And nepotism is so, so dangerous in a church setting. So they stand Peter and John in the middle of them and they inquire by what power or in what name have you done this miracle for the crippled man? What power are you using? And so Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he says to them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man, which this man was healed by, may it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, this crippled man stands here before you today, whole in Jesus. So basically, Peter, uh, in a very long statement, just says that this crippled man that you see here who used to be crippled, but is not anymore. The reason he is not crippled is because Jesus Christ has made him whole today. And then he goes on to testify about Jesus. He says, you know, you guys, you crucified him and yet God raised him from the dead. In verse 11, Jesus is the stone which was regarded to you as worthless but now he has become the chief cornerstone. Now, this is a psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22. This is a prophecy from Psalm that the stone that the builders rejected have become the chief cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is the stone that like holds the entire building together, basically. Uh, I used to live in the state of Pennsylvania and the state of Pennsylvania, its nickname is the cornerstone state, I believe. And that's because like Pennsylvania at the very beginning held everything together. In fact, I think Philadelphia was the first capital of the United States of America. But anyway, that's what a cornerstone is. The cornerstone kind of like holds everything together. And so Jesus was rejected by the builders, the builders being the elders and the uh, the the high priest of Israel. You know, the people who technically are supposed to build up 
the Israeli nation, Israelite nation, and yet they did not. And so the builders rejected the cornerstone, but now the cornerstone has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the one that everything should be built on. This is kind of the idea that Jesus talks about in one of those parables where he says, a man went and built his house on the rock and nothing could tear that house down because it was built on a solid foundation. And so Jesus is that solid foundation. He's the cornerstone. So everything in our lives should be built on the rock. And that's kind of the point of my entire ministry, P40 Ministries. If you go to my website, you're going to see my little tagline, which is build your foundation. Every single facet of you should be built on the cornerstone, should be built on Jesus. This means that your foundation in everything in your life is Jesus. And then your career, who you are as a person, your marriage, your children, everything should be built on that particular cornerstone. So Peter reminds all these elders who are all related to each other that Jesus is the the chief cornerstone. And then he says in verse 12, and this is a very bold statement to say to these guys, because don't forget, these are the same exact guys, Annas and Caiaphas and all of those relatives, the same exact guys that put Jesus on the cross. So Peter is risking his neck saying this to these elders. This is a totally different Peter than the one we saw back in the book of John, isn't he? He says, There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. And you know what? That's so true. There is no other name in scripture. And and guess what? All of these people here, all these elders and Sadducees and everything else, they claimed to believe in the scriptures. They claimed to believe in the Old Testament. And yet the Old Testament always pointed to Jesus. We're going through the Old Testament right now on the podcast, and constantly it's pointing to Jesus. It's all prophecies of Jesus. And I even mentioned how Jesus was walking around in the Old Testament as well. (laughs) I just talked about that, actually. Yahweh's angel, who was most likely Jesus, came down and visited the Israelite people in the book of Judges. But Peter mentions how all these prophecies point to Jesus and how there's nothing in Scripture There's no other name under heaven that is given to us by which we must be saved. So scripture, no matter where you look in scripture, no matter which passage of the Bible you turn to, you're not going to find another name, another way to get into heaven other than by the name of Jesus Christ. Then verse 13. Now, when the elders saw the boldness of Peter and John and had perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I've actually had a lot of people contact me to ask me what my qualifications are for teaching the Bible. And I always say the Great Commission. (laughs) I've got literally no other qualifications. I didn't go to college. I am honestly, by the world standards, I am not a smart individual. I was never super smart in school. I never got good grades in school. I got like a thousand on my SATs, which is is absolutely pitiful. And I went to hair school. I got my license in doing cosmetology and that's what I was doing up until the time that I went to the factory and worked at the factory for a while. And then I started this podcast after that. So by the world standards, I am an ignorant and unlearned individual. 
no matter how you look at it. But yet I also get people who contact me and are like, wow, you know, you know so much about scripture and you, you explain it so well. Here's why people think that. It's because I have been with Jesus. And I'm not saying that I've seen him personally or had some sort of revelation of, you know, meeting Jesus or whatever. I am talking about, I know Jesus. I have been with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. And he's alive in you if you choose to believe in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes people wise. It actually says that in scripture, the Holy Spirit is who gives wisdom. And so because I believe in Jesus, I have been granted the wisdom from the Holy Spirit to be able to read scripture. And it's not just me. It's anybody who wants to truly understand the scripture and has the Holy Spirit inside of them can read and understand scripture. That is why I'm so against these pastors that are like, oh, you know, the only person who can really interpret scripture are the smart people who went to college for theology. And those are the, the people that can really understand and interpret scripture. Well, I think that that is absolute 100% baloney. I think that that is so silly because it says in scripture that God uses the unwise people to make the wise people look like absolute fools. So anybody, whether you are unschooled or whether you have a PhD in theology, you can understand scripture because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these elders who were very studied in the Old Testament saw the disciples standing there and recognized that they were ignorant and unlearned men. And yet they marveled because even though the disciples were unschooled individuals, they had so much knowledge of the scriptures because they had the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit living and residing inside of you, you can absolutely understand the scriptures. But no matter how smart you are, no matter what PhD you have, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're never going to be able to interpret scripture the right way. You might be able to make thoughtful arguments about scripture, but you're never really going to understand exactly what scripture is saying. And that's the, the difference between these Pharisees, the Sadducees and the elders of Israel who were so smart and so knowledgeable in the scriptures, yet they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them like Peter and John did or the other disciples or the other people who were part of the early church. And that is why the, the elders here were marveling over the, the stupid disciples, the disciples that they thought were stupid. It's because those disciples had the Holy Spirit. And because they had the Holy Spirit, they were being granted wisdom of the scriptures that the Pharisees and the elders and the Sadducees just never could obtain. I'm very passionate about this subject because I see the amount of damage that nepotism has done in the church, but not just nepotism, the false claim that pastors sometimes make that the only people who can understand scripture are pastors. That is dangerous because that makes the common person think, oh, I shouldn't even try to open my Bible because I won't be able to understand it. It's absolute baloney. Anyway, faithful listeners, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, share it on your social media platforms. 
And also check out the YouTube channel because I've got stuff on YouTube that is nowhere else. And I'm planning on doing another YouTube episode very soon. So I'm excited about that and hope you guys are as well. And follow P40 Ministries over on Facebook as well because I do a lot of updates and a lot of news over on Facebook as well as the weekly verse images and other personal pictures of myself and my dog and my family and whatever else. So... So I'll see you guys over on Facebook or over on the YouTube page. But if I don't see you guys over there, I will see you tomorrow for an episode out of Judges here on the podcast. Until then, happy listening and God bless.